Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Uh, In-depth, challenging, and I just felt like with what's going on in our world, I felt prompted uh, in Revelation chapter 1, it says, blessed is the person or blessed is the church that reads this letter to the church. And I was like, wow, okay, I want our church to be blessed. And, and I've never preached a series on Revelation. I've never heard a series on Revelation. I actually have read very few books on Revelation because in the past, it's like, I want to stay away from it, right? Like, I want to stay away from the locusts and the dragons and the, the you know, the, the breath-eating, bottomless dragon pit, you know? And it's like, ah, just scary. And so, you know, my daughter this week, we were sitting around the table and she said, dad, great series. My daughter's really engaged and she's taking, great series. Could you tell a joke once in a while? She goes, Dad, it's so intense. I said, I know, babe. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's like the, the end of the world. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> well, you're the one about the priest that goes into the bar. Let's talk about the end of the world. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of challenging. So, if you're here today and you're like, man, this has been intense, just know that we, we're not always this intense. We do like to have fun. And, but remember, the Word of God is truth, and it's convicting, and it's encouraging, but it also is, uh, it's also a rebuke at times. And today, I get the privilege of teaching you uh, the, the, the most the theological chapter in the book of Revelation. I get to teach you today. It's an encouraging word for you. So come on, somebody. Woo, pat yourselves on the back. Hallelujah. Come on, we get some encouraging words. Now, we've, we've kind of been walking through this today, and last week's message was heavy, heavy. Uh, we talked about the seven seals, the six seals rather, being opened, and all of uh, uh, that happened with that, and the, the outpouring of those seals. We talked about how those who died during that season, we, we saw a picture in heaven of them in heaven, and the picture of what that looked like, and how they, they were overcomers, and they were in the presence of the living God. And so what we see is each section in Revelation is a window. And we've seen the first window was chapter one to three, where we saw the son of man as he is in all of his glory revealed. And not only that, what we saw the letters to the churches through chapter, uh, chapter uh, three. And then the second window was uh, chapter four to chapter seven, where we see God as the Old Testament summary. And we saw the lamb as the New Testament summary. And then we saw the seal, the, the seals being opened and the outpouring of that, of that on the earth. And the seal, those of us who are sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit and have the indwelling of of the Holy Spirit living with us, who are bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are protected and tra- transformed and, 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 and covered by the blood of the Lamb. The third window, which we're not going to talk on, uh, preach on today, simply due to time, because I only have 10 weeks for this series and we're already in week six. I got a lot of work to do in the next four weeks. Um, simply for time, we've, what we've done is uh, uh, the next window is Revelations chapter 8, 11. And I ain't going to lie to you, it's darn scary. I mean, it's absolutely downright scary. And I'm not not teaching on it because it's scary. I'm not not teaching on it because Revelation chapter 12 is a bit of a culmination of Revelation chapter 8 to 11. But that's a window in and of itself. And in that window, we see that the final seal is broken. And there's 30 minutes uh, of silence in heaven after the final seal is broken. And the, the crazy wars and death and bitter waters and all these things are poured out on the earth. There's the seven seals broken and there's silence in heaven. And John says for 30 minutes, it was quiet. And then the same angels that opened the seals now were given a trumpet and each of them blew a trumpet. Seven trumpets were blown. And in this, we see five sea creatures and bitter water that leads to death and shifts in the cosmos, and Satan the destroyer is released from the pit, and his demons come to harm those 
who are not marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And more people are killed. And John, in, in, before the seventh seal is unfolded, is called to prophesy. The word prophesy there means to preach. It's not just a prophetic word where I prophesy about your future. The word actually in the Greek is to preach. Preach, witness, testify. The end is near. It's here now, John. Preach the word of God. Prophesy the word of the Lord. The end is here before we open the final, blow the final trumpet, before the end is near, before the kingdom of God is, arrives on the planet. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that all might come to the saving knowledge of God. Right before, it's scary, right before the final trumpet is blown and there is an outpouring of judgment on the earth. And you might say, why is, is God judging the earth? Actually, God is warning the earth about the coming judgment. He's warning the earth, saying, all the things you're seeing are what happens when you choose a life of your own. But when you choose the way of the Lamb, we have life and life everlasting. And here the final trumpet is blown, and the scripture says that now has come the kingdom of our God. Scary stuff. All the way to chapter 11, verse 18. And remember that there is no judgment or fear or concern for those who have chosen to follow Christ. There is no fear. There is no concern. We shouldn't be nervous. We shouldn't be upset because we know that we've been sealed and marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we'll talk about this today. Praise God. We've been protected. We've been provided for. We've been sealed. We are overcomers. We prevail. The church wins. Jesus Christ wins. So no matter what battle you're facing, no matter what hardship you're up against, no matter what difficult you're facing, no matter what you're looking at in your life, no matter what's happening in your life, no, the battle might rage on, but Christ was already victorious on the cross. And so when we fight, we don't fight from a position of fear. We don't fight from a position of concern. We don't fight from a position of defeat. We fight from a position of, of, of victory, knowing that Jesus Christ crucified, buried, rose again, ascended to the seat of the right hand of the Father, and now he is glorified as the Son of Man who has control and authority over the heavens and the earth and knows all of history before it even ends. We are sealed. Some commentators, and I, I agree with them, would, would, would agree with the idea that all of these seven trumpets and the seals will happen before the coming of Christ. That you and I will not be taken out of this world to avoid the coming wrath and the coming judgment. Most commentators have different perspectives. I would hold that belief that we are going to be here to the, to the very end, guys. Unless God takes you prior to that, we, whether we, we die early, prevailing the kingdom of God, or we, we die later, prevailing the kingdom of God, we, both, we win either way. And so we see here that this idea in chapter 8 to 11, now you say, like, oh, I'm so thankful we didn't teach on that. Because <laughs> it's heavy. Read it. Go through it. I encourage you to do that. But let's look at chapter 12 today. Chapter 12, again, is the theological center of this book. Actually, the whole book, actually, this is the center axis point. This is the, the revelation of chapter 12 is the very center point of the throne of God. And I, I didn't want to go into it, but if you look at Revelations 11, verse uh, 19, it actually says that John is able to see into the Ark of the Covenant. 
Meaning that he's not just seeing what's going on around the throne of God. Now God is saying, come closer. I want to show you what's going on at the very middle and the very heart of my throne. What's going on at the very center of my heart? What is, what is the very narrative and the very, the very idea that, 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 is, that, that runs in, in the heartbeat of, of God towards his people? We're going to look in a moment and see this beautiful, beautiful chapter. And this text we're answering today is answering a question that's generated by the claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel declares that in Jesus Christ, the living Lord has won the victory over all the forces that threaten to undo us. This is the claim of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today we are going to prove that claim. And this is all about a war. Revelations chapter 12 is a war. And at one point, heaven experiences a victory a decisive victory, but the victory is not won in heaven. The victory is won on earth. We're going to see here that heaven's long, long war against the forces of light, against the forces of darkness, is settled not in heaven, but is settled in one particular event on earth. We will see that heaven and earth intermingle, that when something happens on earth, it affects heaven. And when something happens in heaven, it affects earth. And this war has been going on for many, many years. And so we'll jump into Revelations chapter 12, verse 1. And it says this. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. Now, I want you to notice he's, in he he's looking in heaven. He's not seeing a reality on earth. He's seeing a reality in heaven. It's a supernatural look. Once again, verse 19 again in chapter 11 says that in heaven. So both of these accounts, the beginning of this window, he's seeing into heaven once again into a, a deeper revelation of the heart of God, something deeper, something more. And he wants the, the readers of this letter to know who were being persecuted, mistreated, tempted to give up their faith. They were being uh, beaten and, 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 and some were falling away and there's immorality and there's heresy and all sorts of things that were happening uh, in the church that day. John was writing this to help the leaders know that the situation and the circumstances around you, the challenges that you're facing right now in your life on earth matter to God. They matter to God and that it is the focus of his heart. And look what he says. It is a, an event of great significance. That phrase, their great significance, actually means sign. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you is a sign. It's, 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 things are not as they seem. That what I'm telling you is not like, like literal verbatim. What I'm saying is that there's something happening in this moment that is the revelatory. Like there, there's something behind what I'm about to say to you. This is a sign and it's pointing to something beyond the imagery that we're going to see today. And we're going to see three different characters in this story and all of them have incredible value for your understanding of the reality of the victory that you already have. And the first one we see is the woman. It says, I saw a woman clothed with the sun with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Who is this woman? Well, really, if you look theologically at this woman, if you study this idea out, read the books and all those things, as, I, as I've done, you look at this, the idea is actually the woman represents three things. The first thing the woman represents is the people of God. We'll see that in Genesis 37, verse 9, this is where, uh, where, where John was grabbing from when Joseph had a dream. Remember the dream? Joseph had a dream, and again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. He said, this is Joseph talking, who is actually um, a beautiful story. If you haven't read it, you should go back and read it. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. 
Now, the 11 stars, later it will be 12 because of Benjamin who was later to be born. And so there was actually 12 stars who would later bow down before Joseph. So these individuals represented the 12 tribes of Israel, which would represent those who came before Christ and after Christ, the, the followers of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. So the very first thing that it represents is the tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel, Israel itself, as well as the church, you and me. This represents the church. The woman, ultimately, overarching in this story, represents the church of Jesus Christ, you and me. It also could obviously easily interpret to play out as Mary, the mother of Jesus. Also, it represents, as I mentioned, the church, and we see that in Isaiah 26. And so we, we need to remember that the woman in this story, the woman in this story is a representation of the church of Jesus Christ. And then we have our second character. The character, it says, I witnessed in heaven, another significant event. So it's a sign. It's, 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 there's something deeper. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one third of the stars of the sky and he threw them to the earth. We see here that this is a red dragon-like blood. And the dragon had seven heads. Seven is the, uh, means complete in numerology, and the, 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 the head is a, speaks to authority. So this figure had complete authority, only given by the will of God. Not only that, but this had uh, ten horns. Ten is also a number for complete, and horns is a sign of authority. So he, had, he was completely strong. Not only that, he had crowns on his head or diadems, as other translations would say, gold and diamonds, which mean he would be very rich and wealthy. He was rich and wealthy and influential. So we have a, a figure with all authority who is completely strong, who has influence and wealth and, and fame and fortune and the crowns upon his head. This is a picture of the devil. And we see in this verse, and he actually defines exactly who it is in verse 9, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. We see that the figure, the dragon, is the serpent. It is Satan. It's the one deceiving the whole world. Now, as I prepared for this, I recognize that I'm about to tick the devil off today because I'm about to unveil his stinking plan. And I'm going to reveal to you that his plan does not impact you if you don't, if you don't let it. That we actually have the authority and the ability to overcome the works of the evil one in our lives. We see here that he was sent to deceive the whole world. This is the dragon. He was the ancient serpent. Look at this. The ancient serpent in Genesis 3.15, we see that God is talking to the serpent and says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Remember the woman, the church. And between your offspring and her offspring, the children of the church. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So we see that the first is the, the woman represents the, the church and the second represents the dragon represents the devil. And then we have a third character. I want you to notice something. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Notice it did not say in this verse, I saw an event or a sign. In this verse, he didn't say this is symbolism or there's a deeper meaning. No, this verse, he says, this is exactly what it is. He was a son, a male son who was born to a woman. And that's why we, we can look at this verse and we can see that, that the woman is a significant event. The woman points to a reality beyond herself. But we're not going to see a literal woman who is clothed in the sun. You'll look at the dragon and you'll see a dragon points to a reality beyond itself. We will not find a literal dragon with seven heads and horns. But what we will find is a child. 
This child is not a sign. This child does not point to a reality beyond itself. This child is the reality. We will find a male son who was born on the earth, and his name is Jesus Christ. We will see that there is a child, and he is the Messiah. And this dragon tried to kill this child. Look at this. In verse 4, he stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Do you remember the Christmas story? You remember in Matthew chapter 2, God spoke to Joseph and Mary, and he said this to them in Matthew chapter 2. says this, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. And the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Herod, under the influence of the dragon, was trying to kill Jesus. The dragon waited for that baby to be born, knowing that if that baby was born, his fate was sealed. And he stood in front of this baby to kill this baby and Herod being used by the devil trying to kill this child, this would mean that the account that we're reading this morning potentially happened before. Not happening now. That he's seeing a revelation of a supernatural picture of something that has already taken place. Something that is behind. Something that is before that we're potentially reading that Revelation chapter 12 happened when Jesus was born on the planet. And we see in verse 5 and 6, it says, she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, Jesus. Her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God on his throne. Notice, snatched away from the dragon, from the devil, and caught up to God on his throne. This scripture, John chooses to go straight from birth all the way to the ascension of Jesus Christ. He says, the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. And so here, notice in the scripture, we've got the child who's been snatched up to God, is now sitting at the right hand of God. We've got the woman, the church, who has now been in the wilderness, had a place prepared for her. That 1260 we'll talk about in a minute is basically the time between when Christ was born to the end of Jesus Christ. There's a time where the woman was taken and she's been protected. She's been guarded. She's being prepared pair during the time when the, when, when the enemy and the dragon is trying to attack the woman. You'll see that there's protection, there's provision, there's care for the, for the woman, for the church of Jesus Christ. And while in this moment where the child was snatched away and now in, in heaven with God and the, the woman, the church is now being taken away to a place prepared for her, we see that something begins to happen in heaven. Then, look at, then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Michael in the Old Testament is often seen as the guardian of the people of Israel. So we have the, the guardian of the church of Jesus Christ fighting with the, with the enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. We've got a battle raging in the heavenly realm. They're fighting and they're raging and they're fighting and you know what they're fighting over? You. They're raging and they're fighting and the war goes on and is the guardian of the church of Jesus Christ, the guardian of Israel, fights against the, the, the dragon, the serpent, the evil one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And their minions fight against one another. It says in verse chapter 8 that the dragon lost the battle and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. And this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, 
was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. Now listen, this is the whole point of the next window of chapter 12 to chapter 15. This is the whole point. This is when we see that the war in heaven, the battle that was going on in heaven. Now listen, you got to catch this. The battle that was going on in heaven, they were battling, they were fighting, was already decided on an event on earth. That when they were battling and the raging war and the enemy's attacking and it's difficult and it's hard, we see that the war in heaven was won through an event on earth. The war in heaven was, was won through the birth of a child on earth. The, the war in heaven was won through a life of a child on earth. The war in heaven was won through the preaching and the teaching and the healing ministry of a child on earth. The war is won through the crucifixion of a child on earth. The war is won through the resurrection of a child on earth. The war is won through the ascension of a child on earth. The war has been won on, on earth for heaven. So we have to understand something, that Revelations 12 Paul, uh, John talks about Satan being thrown down six times. Now he's just throwing it in the face of the devil. He's been thrown down. He's been thrown down. You know what that word thrown down means in the Greek? It means to be bounced. Like going into a, a club or something and you get knocked out by a bouncer. You got bounced. Harrison bounced people a day ago. <laughs> Satan got bounced out of heaven. The war was going on. We're fighting in a battle. Wondering if we're going to win, and we need to be reminded that the war was already settled when Jesus Christ was born. And even though there's a battle, and even though there's a war, and even though the enemy steals, kills, and destroys, and even though he attacks you, and he goes against you, and you say, what is this happening? You have to know it's already been settled on heaven. On earth, rather. It's already been settled when Jesus was born. It's already been settled when he walked the earth. It was already settled when he was crucified. And he took the keys of death and hell and, 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 and sin away from Lucifer. And he was crucified. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And it was decided that no matter how bad the battle gets, we win. That Jesus Christ wins this battle. And that's why... They can say with a loud voice across the heavens, it has come at last. Salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Jesus said the same thing in Mark 1.15. The time, listen, if you're here today and you're wondering about where you're in your journey with the Lord, this is Jesus said this over 2,000 years ago. The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians 6. For God says at just the right time, I heard you on the day of salvation. I helped you. Indeed, the right time for your life to turn to Christ is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. This is the message through the entire whole New Testament that we should hear today that the victory has been won. It is today, it is now, even though a battle still rages on, even though the battle still continues, even though the enemy's still trying to figure out what's gonna happen next, at the end of the day, we need to be reminded that no matter what you face, discouragement, hardship, depression, loss, difficulty, you say, Ryan, the battle's too strong, it's too much. Listen, I wanna encourage you today, the battle's already been won, God's already uh, secured for you peace and joy and life and restoration and yes the things of this world are difficult and hard but one day you will experience what God intended for you when he created you when we spend an eternity in the city of our God 
we have to be reminded today that no matter what we face in our life, we prevail. So if the devil's been bounced and the devil's been defeated, why are things so bad? Why are we still in this battle? Why can't we just get on with it, Jesus? <laughs> why are we still facing the things that we're facing? Well, 12, verse 12 tells us, for the devil has come down to you, to the earth, in great anger. Look at this, knowing that he has little time. Do you know that the devil knows the gospel more than most Christians? The devil recognizes the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the freedom, the transformation that comes through declaring the name of Christ over your life. The devil knows this, and the devil knows his time is short. The devil knows he's already lost the battle. So why do you think he's going to cause havoc on the world? Because he's got a little bit of time left, and so he's going to mess with you as quickly as he can. He's going to mess with the earth. He's going to mess with your friends. He's going to mess with your family. He's going to mess with people. He's going to mess with the world and pour out chaos and attack and, 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 and try to discourage and tempt. Why? Because he wants to take you down with him. He knows his time is short. See, Ryan, why is the spiritual battle so, so big in my life? Is it because of sin? Well, I don't know. But what I do know is this. The devil hates you. And his time is short. And we got to be reminded today that life is but a mist. And the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And the name of Jesus is the only name. It is the only hope for our lives. Not our career, not our advancement, not our possessions, not our future, not our, our things that we're good at, not even our own family. Jesus Christ and his kingdom is the only thing that prevails. The devil knows his time is short. He knows that the kingdom of God is going to prevail. He's actively working against God and his people. The devil is ticked and knows the gospel better than you and better than me. Suffering of the church is not a sign of Satan's victory. The suffering of the church is a sign of the realization he's realizing his defeat. So when things get worse, it's not because God did it. It's not because we're losing. It's because it gets worse because the devil's ticked. He knows we win. He knows you win. He knows you overcome. He knows that if you continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. He knows that if you invite your friend to church, they just might give their life to Christ. He knows that if you share your faith, even when it's hard, they might just come to Jesus Christ. He knows. He knows that you've got the power of the living God inside of you. He knows that you are a witness and a testimony to the name of Jesus Christ. He knows that you have the power of salvation living within you. He knows that you have the ability to do miracles and signs and wonders. He knows that. And so what is he going to do? He's going to do a few things in your life. And we see in this scripture exactly how the devil likes to attack the people of God. He goes after the church. Look what it says in verse 12, 13 and 17. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Look at that. He realized a child was gone, so he pursued the, the woman. And then the dragon was angry at the woman and he declared war against the rest of her children. And all who, look at this, so you want to know if you're God's child? Am I saved? Am I spirit in the of Christ? Well, do you keep God's commandments and do you maintain your testimony for Jesus Christ? These are the ones that the devil is going against. He's attacking them. And we see in verse 15 how he does it. It says, then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. Recognize this today, that the flood that comes from the mouth of the dragon is absolutely contrary to the, the flood that comes from the river of life. 
The words that come from God and the promises that are in God's word and the things that God speaks to you are in the exact opposite to the, the flood that comes out of the, the, the mouth of the dragon who tries to drown you. And he tries to drown you with three different ways. And I want you to hear me today, Christian. If you, we cannot allow the, the, the work of the evil one to come into our mind and allow his flood of words into our brains, we have to recognize today that this is a spiritual battle and that we win and that you've given all the tools and authority to conquer the works of the evil one in your life. And we see three different areas where the devil likes to try to destroy the people of God. The first one here we see is in Revelation chapter 10, it says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. Look at this, the one who accuses them. Actually, the word, the word, the word Satan is literally the word accuser. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. Satan literally day and night stands in the throne room of God accusing you of your sin. He stands there and constantly is reminding God. He throws your sin in God's face. He constantly and literally is hassling God and hassling God's people, reminding you that you are not worthy of God's love. He goes to the God. He said, we see in Job, he stood before God himself and he said, listen, my friend, I'm going to use Andrew because I know Andrew well. Andrew, listen, I know this guy. I know his sin. I know his life. I know his past. This guy is not worthy of your love. Come on, God. Look at what he did yesterday. Look what he did last week. Look what he did here. Look what he's going to do. You know his future. You know that this guy doesn't deserve your love. Come on, God. Look at his life. Look at this. Look at that. That's all the devil does. He constantly stands before God and accuses you to God. But guess what else he does? He does it in your ear too. And this is what Christians do. This is what us, this is one of the biggest areas in my 21 years of being a pastor. This is the, one of the biggest areas where Christians struggle. They struggle to accept that you have been forgiven for your sins. You can't accept his grace because your sin is too large. You can't accept his grace because your mistakes are too big. You can't accept his grace because I've made too many mistakes. I've gone, I'm, I'm too far gone. I can't do this anymore. I, I can't allow myself to be forgiven of that abortion. I can't allow myself to be forgiven of looking at that pornography. I can't allow myself to be forgiven of getting drunk. I can't allow myself to be forgiven of making a mistake or lying or cheating or stealing or all the things I've done. I've made so many mistakes. I'm disqualified from God's love. Therefore, I will be a Christian, but I will be a nominal Christian. I will understand there's a God, but I'm not going to engage with him because I feel so much shame and guilt. And that is called the accusation of the evil one. And what happens is we create arm's length or you lean into your rebellion. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I do those things, but I'm not good enough. So I might as well just keep going with my sin. He hasn't forgiven me for sleeping with this person. You know, I, I just, I feel so bad. So you know what? Whatever. I'm, I'm not good enough already. I, I'm never going to be getting his good grace. God's so angry and mad. So you know what? Whatever. I'm just going to keep leaning into my rebellion. And the devil tricks us into thinking that you're not good enough. But here's the truth. You're not. See, that's the crazy part. Is that when the devil stands before God and says, Ryan is such a sinner, the worst of the worst. He does not deserve your love. God's response is, I know. You're right. 
The devil's actually speaking truth here. I am a sinner. I'm the worst sinner in the room. I'm a failure. I make mistakes. I fall short. I short my kids and short my life and make poor decisions. I, one time I almost screwed up my whole marriage. Fall apart. Sometimes I spend money in the past where I'm like, why did I even spend that money? Or I do things I shouldn't have done all the time. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm absolutely in need of the grace of God. But that is where the devil is wrong. I am purchased and bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been sanctified and delivered and set free. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he died and covered a multitude of sin. And so all I have to do, how did they overcome? Look what it says in verse 11. They defeated him by the blood of the lamb. Yeah, devil, you're right. I am a loser, but guess what? I'm a winner because of Jesus' blood. Yeah, you're right. I am a pervert, but guess what? I'm righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, accuser, guess what? Dragon, guess what? Nothing can stand between me and Jesus Christ. Look what Romans chapter 8 says. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Who will condemn us? No one. Christ Jesus died for us. was raised to life for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He's sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Dragon, we've already won the battle, so shut up. The second area where the devil likes to speak to us, floods to us, is this. Through deception, he deceives us. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. The devil's always playing games with the truth. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And he's deceived about his role in the universe. Remember, Satan wants to be God. And so guess what he does? He deceives the world into thinking they can be gods. He deceives us followers of Jesus that it's all about our feelings. And all about our happiness. And all about what makes me feel good. Come on, just be a better you. Just shore up the areas and you're going to be okay. See, what the devil wants to do is twist the truth just like he did in the beginning. Genesis 3, 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And look at this. And he knows you'll be like God. Don't worry about what God says. Listen, God, God just doesn't want you to be a God. Actually, you know what? You can be a God. Actually, you know what? Be your own God. Come on, be your own future. Come on, be your own destiny. Come on, carve out your own life. Do your own thing, but just make sure you do it without God. What the devil does is he decepts us, deceives us into thinking how you feel is what matters. You don't need God. You're a God. Do whatever makes you happy. Give in to what you desire the most. Be the better you. Love yourself. But how did these people overcome? It says they overcame by their testimony. They overcame by recognizing, I am definitely not a God. I recognize that at just the right time, Christ came and that the only God is Jesus. I am not a God. He's a God. And as I declare the truth about who Jesus is, I experience transformation in my life, and I deny the idea that I'm a God, only He is the God. But this isn't just areas of deception such as abortion or guns or sexuality. Also, you know where He likes to get followers of Jesus is in the little areas. The little tiny areas of deception in our own lives where we twist the truth to get away with sin. And see, as followers of Jesus, when he comes to deceive us, you know, it's not that bad. 
have another drink. You know, your wife will never know if you click on that. You know what? If you give your money, do you spend your money on this, no one's ever going to know. You know what? You sleep with this person, you do this thing. These areas of sin in our life that no one knows about. What he does is he just sees us into thinking that it's okay for us to, be, to tell lies about the truth. And I want you to see something. The testimony about Jesus is found in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus says, For God so loved the world. This is the verdict. He came in to save the world, not to judge the world, not to condemn the world. And look what it says in verse 20. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their fear that their sins will be exposed. This is the work of the enemy, the deceiving enemy, that if I come into the light, he's just going to expose me to the world. But what, what they don't know is, is that when you expose your areas of your life to God, he transforms you. Amen. He saves you. Yes. He gives you abundant life. But those who do what is right, they come into the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. See, the testimony about Jesus isn't only us declaring the gospel. It isn't only us talking about all of the different things I've talked about. It's us being completely and fully honest before God with every nook and cranny of your life, saying, God, I lie here. God, I was deceptive. God, I lusted. God, I did this. God, I want to... And guess what happens? Every time we confess and we repent of our sin, he comes and the ministry of Jesus comes into our lives and he transforms us and he makes us new. I'm telling you, you want to know where true, tangible joy comes from? Confess your sin. What? I want to tell you today that if you want joy unexplainable, restoring the joy of your salvation, lay out your sin before the Lord. Make sure your spouse knows and a loved one knows and bring it all out before him. Say, I lied here and I was deceptive about that and I've been doing this. And guess what? When you confess, the ministry of Jesus comes and the devil cannot deceive you any longer. And lastly here today, we see that he threats to kill you. I saw a large red dragon. This idea is blood and he he threatens you with death and pain. I want you to see this verse in Hebrews 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who has the power of death. Look at this. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. See, what the devil likes to do is the devil likes to say to you and to I, if you obey Jesus, you're going to lose out. If you obey Jesus, you're going to have to sacrifice your life in Papua New Guinea. If you obey Jesus, you're not going to be happy. If you obey Jesus, if you obey, if you follow Christ, your life's going to be miserable. If you follow Christ, it's not going to be fun. If you follow Christ, it's going to be hard. If you follow Christ, it's going to be difficult. If you follow Christ, he starts to threaten us. He threatens us. He lies to us. He threatens us with, threatens us with death. And what happens is we as followers of Christians back down. Instead of leaning into what God's called us to do and to be proponents for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we back down because I love my life too much and I love my wife too much and I love my kids too much and I love my things too much and I love my world, I love my life too much. I love my life and I don't want to have to give those great things up for Jesus. So I believe in him, but I stand back. I pull back from the call of God on my life because I don't want to have to give up this life. And see, they overcame Look at this, by not loving their lives so much that they were afraid to die. You know, in my life, if I give my life for expanding the kingdom of God and I die, I win. Yes. If I live a long, prosperous life while expanding the kingdom of God, I win. 
See, the devil knows that we're all afraid to die. We don't want to give up our life. We don't want to give up the things we have. He knows that. He knows our human nature. He knows our carnality. But what he doesn't know is that when you do do that, God provides for all your needs. You have more joy, more provision, everything you've ever needed. And this is the, one of the best parts about as we end our time together. Look at this last verse here today. It says, but she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. And there she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times and a half. Time, times and a half, 42 months. Comes out to 1,000, I think 260 years. I think it's listed before. 1,260 days, rather. And that time is considered the how long it took the people of Israel to go from Egypt to the Promised Land. And it's a picture of the time it will be from the birth of Christ to the end of time. Meaning this, during this entire chaotic season, when the world begins to fall apart, when the devil's attacking you and accusing you and deceiving you and threatening you, you can know this, that you will be protected. You will be cared for. Remember, what does it remind you of when he said, giving you two wings? Remember in Isaiah, it says, you will mount up on wings like eagles. That he who trusts in the Lord shall renew their strength. That they will be given rest. Remember in Exodus chapter 19, when God told the people of Israel, as I brought you through the wilderness, I, it was like I put you on eagle's wings and I cared for you and I protected you. You can know this today. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, we overcome the evil one. We don't have to accept the accusations. He can't deceive us anymore. No longer can he threaten us with death. And throughout all that we face while we live on this planet, we'll be protected and cared for and provided for and guided and loved and encouraged. And when the world's falling apart around us, you and I, the sealed ones of God, can, can prevail through this season. We endure. You stand to your feet here this morning. We pray for you. Come on, is anyone in the room today with every eye closed and you are here and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or maybe you did at one time and you felt like maybe you've just taken a step back and you'd like to make a fresh commitment to serve the Lord today. Come on, I'm just gonna, for those online and those in the room today, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Ryan, I just wanna start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today. I've been far from him and I want to start a relationship with him. Would you just put your hand in the air today? Come on, make it real high. <laughs> Come on, that's awesome. Anybody else? Come on, let's pray. Father, right now, we just love you, Jesus. We want to say thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we prevail. Lord, I pray for those in the room who are far from you. Those who've been living for themselves. God, we know that the way of the lamb, the way of God is so much better. And so we just thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for those in the room today, God, who, those online and this individual in the room, God, who wants to serve you, God, we pray that they would give their life to you, Father, that they would confess that you're Lord and that you're God. Lord, we just want to say thank you for your protection, your provision, for your partnership, that we overcome the devil. We win. I pray, Lord, that you would light a fire in the people in this room. We would no longer just be nominally followers of you, but we would be passionate followers knowing that the time is near. And so let's live our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your presence today in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.